welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest this evening is Minnie Dark. Her first book was released in May. It's called Starcrossed. Talking to Minnie in the green room made me feel like I was speaking to Sybil because apparently she writes under different pen names. We're not going to go through that tonight, though. So I've managed to capture Minnie, Minnie Dark, D-A-R-K-E, who's calling from Tasmania, which I love. I love speaking to Aussie writers. I'm so thrilled that she's visiting with me tonight. Welcome to Authors on the Air, Minnie. Well, thank you so very much, Pam, for having me to visit. I I am thrilled that you're here. So when I was reading your bio, you put that you were a you were a Scrabble cutthroat and knitter, a lover of books, freshly sharpened pencils, and Russian caravan tea. I love all of those things except knitting. I don't know how to do that. However, <laughs> however. I have a thing for freshly sharpened pencils because my schedule changes so much that I actually don't keep a Google calendar. I keep a paper calendar and it's highlighted with, with which shows are going on at what time and what type of genre I'm interviewing. So I think we, we kind of have a lot in common, right? (laughs) It sounds like we do. I actually keep a paper diary as well for much the same reason. My schedule changes so much and, Listen, I think all authors can probably relate to this. Authors are are probably all quite skilled procrastinators. And once when I was procrastinating, I sharpened all 72 Derwent watercolour pencils and put them in order. Now, how's that for an act of procrastination? (laughs) You are so funny. When we were in the green room, the first thing you said is, what is your star sign? And I told you. What is the significance of you asking? Or do you follow astrology and really know what the personalities are assigned to each of the, of the zodiac signs? Well, when I was a kid, Pam, I grew up with a mother and grandmothers who read a lot of magazines. And I was, you know, an only child, a bookish child. So I would pick up anything that was lying around and, and read it. And in our long our long holidays here, you know, our summer holidays, which are over Christmas, of course. And so at that time of year, you get those uh, specials in the magazine that say, it's January, this is your year ahead by the stars. And, you know, I would read that in Australian Women's Weekly and Woman's Day and New Idea and uh, Dolly Magazine and and so on. So I I inadvertently got quite a, a sound education in astrology when I was a child. Um, people ask me a lot whether I believe in astrology I'm not 100% sure I do, but I certainly like it very much. And I, I, think as far as, I think as far as systems of belief go, it's a pretty harmless one. I mean, maybe one day someone's going to correct me, but as far as I know, I don't think any world wars have been started over astrology. This is probably true. I think mm-hmm. you're right. And um, the number 12 is significant in a lot of different cultures. So there are 12 zodiac signs or star signs, as you call them. Um, and your sign happens to be what? My sign is Gemini, which is uh, the twin. And Geminis are renowned for their chattiness. So you can probably tell that about me. And they're also, they tend to be the wordy types of the zodiacs, of the writers. And I think this sense of having, of having a tribe 
is something that people really like about astrology. Uh, not so much, um, I don't use it so much for looking at my stars and predicting whether today is an auspicious day for me or not, but I, I do like to know what star sign somebody is. I think that we use astrology to understand ourselves and understand other people. And I think we enjoy conforming to our star signs, but I think we also enjoy confounding them a little bit. I agree with you 100%. So the star signs play a, a starring role in Star Crossed, your novel. Would you share with listeners what Star Crossed is about? I sure can. So it's the story of a young journalist called Justine. She works for a magazine called the Alexandria Park Star. And she is, well, when I say she's a journalist, she wants to be a journalist. She's still stuck in one of those sort of dog's body jobs at, at the magazine. And she likes a boy called Nick. And he is a great believer in his horoscopes. He's an Aquarius. He's a true believer. And he makes big decisions based on the stars. Justine, on the other hand, is a Sagittarius. She's quite the skeptic. She thinks that astrology is just a big lot of nonsense, really. So she doesn't think that it could really hurt much if she just started to maybe rewrite the horoscope for Aquarius just to kind of get Nick's attention. Uh, so, of course, what happens is that Nick is not the only Aquarius who's reading these horoscopes that have been doctored by Justine. And out there in Readerland, lots of other Aquarians are making big decisions based on misdirection. Wow. And the ripple effect. One little stone creates all those ripples in the in the in the big lake, right? That's true. I I think Pam that the original World Wide Web is actually just the fact that we all live here together on the same planet and things that we do, decisions that we make, our choices, our actions, they have implications for other people and even quite small things that we do or say can go on and have these ripple effects. So I think when we wake up in the morning and we think, what I really want to do today is this. But we know that there are going to be forces out there in the outside world that might help us, other ones that might hinder us. And it's not so right. much the stars, really. It's other people and their choices and their decisions and world events and so on. I think to live on a planet with however many billion people whose actions and interactions are going to impact on you. Well, I agree with you. I think that... Um, that uh, that we are affected by others, even in small and large ways. So um, the book to me was just cute until it wasn't cute, and then it was serious. And very, very enjoyable, and thank you so much for writing it. But I have a few things to ask you. Um, I mentioned that you, when we were talking in the green room, you kind of have this Sybil-like personality. So tonight I'm speaking to Minnie. Will you be writing another book? I know this one just released, and it's gone international. You've been charting where your book is on your website and which international markets, and I think you just added Denmark today or recently. Will you want to write as many again? Yes, I, I'm. in fact, I'm working on another book right now. I was working on it just before you and I started to speak, Pam. Um, and the next book is about music. And in a similar way to Starcraft, it's about how interconnected we are. 
So it's about a piece of music that manages to independently travel its way around the world by transmitting itself from ear to ear. Boy, that's a good one because who isn't brought exactly back to a time and place when they hear a special song? That's true. I, I, I love music myself. I sing in the car. And I do remember that there's a, there's a quote, a very famous quote, that writing about music is like dancing about architecture, which kind of means don't even try. It's just silly. Right. But I, but I couldn't help myself because music is such an important part of, of my life. So I wanted to write uh, about how music makes you feel and the kinds of places that music can, can touch you. Um, you said something earlier, uh, and I, I kind of glossed over it a little bit, and I'm not sure if it was while we were on the air or when we were in the green room, but you mentioned that in it's Christmas in the summer for you. And so I want to commiserate with you because I mentioned to you that I live in Florida, so Christmas is always in the summer. So there's another <laughs> thing we have in common, by the way, Minnie. <laughs> you know, people say, how can you stand it? And I say but I don't know any other way I mean I've been where it snows for the holidays and it's not particularly fun when you're an adult when you're a kid it's great but as an adult no it's okay I can I can stay in the air conditioning in Florida (laughs) well we have this kind of strange upside down relationship with all the festivals actually yes you do because yes Easter for people in the Northern Hemisphere comes when it really makes sense to be talking about spring and new life and so on, whereas we celebrate Easter in in autumn when we're going on our way into winter. So all of the kind of iconography around eggs and flowers and new life and so on doesn't make much sense to us, but we just go with it. And then, of course, with Halloween, Halloween is all about preparing yourself to go into the dark and going into the winter and, you know, uh, facing death and all of those sorts of things. Of course, that for us is is in late spring and, you know, the cricket season's just starting and we're all rushing out to buy sunscreen. But, you know, we just go with it. We we can cope in our crazy Antipodean world. (laughs) Do you mean the cricket season like the bugs or the sport? I mean like the sport. (laughs) 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 <laughs> just wanted to be sure because it could be either when you're up here you know <laughs> so yes, more likely it's going to be the bugs than it is the sport <laughs> god I love my job who else gets to talk to someone who lives on the complete other side of the globe it's just yes, amazing it's our language I think I think we say we're we're divided by a common language and um when um I was editing the book for the uh, for the U.S. And, and Canadian market. I did have to explain some of my very Australian vernacular, and um, I, I did I did fight to to retain some you know some Australianisms like for for men's um, bathers, um, uh-huh. men's men's swim swimmers or dogs right, right. or whatever you call them. Um, an Australian expression for those is budgie smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's wonderful. To me, that richness um, gives gives me such a more uh, a well-rounded experience when I'm reading. I love to read things like that. The the colloquialisms that are native to you and that are foreign to me make a book so much more interesting. So I'm glad that you fought to leave them in. 
Um, I was mentioning to, I, I told you I spoke to Amy Andrews, who's from Queensland last week, and she was mentioning uh, one of the sports that's real popular. It's some type of a football. I don't, I don't remember what it was. Not soccer, but um, mm-hmm. well, we have Australian rules football, but we also have rugby here. If she's from Queensland, it's it. probably rugby. Rugby. <laughs> So I had never seen a rugby match, so I had to YouTube it and see what a rugby match looks like. And I'm thinking, holy crap, that's a that's a brutal sport. And those guys are really big because her <laughs> characters are rugby players. I guess they play it here. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's not something I've ever attended. It's not one of the top five, I don't think. But um <laughs> but I think it's another that's... one of those common I think it's another one of those Commonwealth sports. Uh so, you know, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, yes. England, those sorts of countries. Mm. Yes, I think so, too. So, you know, All-American Baseball, I don't know if that's popular where you are. But, but again, all those little differences, those idiosyncratic things about your writing as an Australian, as a Tasmanian, make a book for me so much more interesting. So let me ask you this, Minnie. Um, are you are you one of those people who has an idea and says, hmm, I think I'm just going to plop right down and flush out this idea, or do you have a character in mind? I, I have lots of different ways of working, and sometimes it's a character that leads me into a story, and sometimes it's a concept. And this time around it was the concept. This time it was the idea, could I write a book about... Uh, astrology, where one person is uh, trying to affect the life of another person, sort of by, by ven- ventriloquizing the horoscope. Right. So this time right. I started with, um, with a concept. And I suppose for um, my next book, which is about music, I suppose once again, um, this time it, it's a concept. But of course, the characters are always going to be incredibly important because if you don't love the characters and you don't care about them it's not going to carry you through uh you know the whole journey novel and one of the things I have loved about reviews of Starcross so far is that people have numerous people have said what they like about my characters is that they're so warm that they're they're warm characters people you can relate to and I'm really really thrilled with that feedback uh, so I didn't realise that there seemed to be this hunger out there in Readerland for a, a bit of niceness. So it, it seems to me we live in reasonably bleak times and, and quite a lot of the literature that that comes out is quite bleak and, of course, that, that literature has an incredibly important place and um, I do read a lot of um, you know quite serious literature with serious themes and maybe quite sad parts to it, but this book... Is, is supposed to be the antidote to that. This is a joyful book. So I've written a book with joy in mind um, and with, with characters that I, I love and it seems to me that the, the love I have for them has managed to, to communicate itself to readers. I think it has too. And I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Um, I mentioned to you that I, I like to read quite a bit. So I spend most of my time reading. And um, I... I read across genre, so I find there are just some books I cannot read. They're just too brutal and too dark for me. And um, it, while I respect the writer, I cannot. Uh, it, it's it's too much. There's just too much nastiness in the world. I don't want to read about it too. 
Um, like I don't like cartel books. You know, I don't like drug cartel books because it seems to me the most brutal kind of people. Um, I don't like serial killer books when it's focused on the crime so much as focused on the good guys. So, but I read thrillers and mysteries. It's my first love. But after that, I have to cleanse my palate with something contemporary and light. So Starcrest was one of those books that I cleansed my palate with, and it just made me smile the whole time I was reading it. So you're right. Your characters are warm, and that's really important. Um, when you were writing with Nick and, um, and Justine, how conscious of you of how their dialogue needs to sound different to a reader? You mean how how the dialogue, their voice, yes, others' voice. Yeah. So in other words, I, when I read, I I want to I don't want to say Justine said and Nick said. I want to know that the author is, and you did this very well, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to say Justine or Nick. You just can have the lines of dialogue, and I'm going to know who it is that's mm-hmm. speaking. I Are you that. conscious? Are you conscious of that when you're writing? The tone, the the timbre, the tone, the intonations, the words, the vocabulary that your characters use, they have to be different, doesn't it? I think you kind of have to go back one step further, which is that the way that I work is before I sit down to write a particular scene, I play it like a movie in my head. So I just sit at my desk or wherever I am and I let that scene play out. And so those characters speak to each other and they say the things that they're obviously going to say based on their motivation. So it's going to come from their heart, whatever it is that they say. So mm-hmm. I feel that I'm not so much really consciously inventing it as just capturing it, uh, if you know what I mean. And I exactly. think one, one really important thing to remember when you're writing dialogue is that you have to distinguish between what somebody wants to communicate. And I I teach writing here in Tasmania and I have a lot of students who, when they want a character to say something to the other character, they have them communicate exactly what they want them to communicate, what they want to get across. Mm -hmm. But you need to think there's a difference between that and what do they actually say? What are the actual words that come to their mouth? And the person who was really... um, good on this was uh, playwright David Mamet and he said yes. the guy doesn't say uh, I haven't been laid in six weeks the guy says nice dress <laughs> interesting yeah. interesting so there's, yes. there's a difference between what you want to communicate and the actual words that you might use to communicate that and oh I love a, that I, I'd never thought about that that's a really really interesting thing well, there you go. You asked a great question, Pam, and you got a got, got an answer that I that got a great answer. It gives yeah. you a, a, a new idea. That's great. Uh, to me, that's the sign of the best writer when I don't have to go back and and count. You know, okay, who said this first and who said that next? The the dialogue should indicate who it is. You know, the vocabulary, the tone, the intention should all be there. So. Um, 
But what a wonderful thing. I'm going to, I'm writing that down right now. Where's my pencil, my sharpened pencil. I'm going to go ahead and write that down. <laughs> it's a really great line. I'm going to have, you're going to email that to me. Okay. <laughs> because yeah, I really like that a lot. Yeah. Um, are you a dedicated writer to time, to, to chapters, to words? Do you, do you want to write in the morning? Do you prefer writing in the evening? Or do you write all day long? Well, okay, so it like so to be Minnie the writer? Okay, so I have all these fantasies about being really organized. So mm-hmm. um, it's a bit like when you're studying for exams and you make yourself this really beautiful revision schedule all kind of color-coded and it's just going to be smooth and it's going to work beautifully. So I start with these great plans about how I'm going to write this many words a day or I'm going to get this chapter done on this particular day or whatever. I start with great intentions. But then things just go wrong or things change. Um, In reality, it's just a great big chaotic mess of trying to write whenever I can um, I, I have a gypsy caravan in my backyard although I need to remember that in North America and perhaps in other places where your listeners are that word has a different meaning to it does here it's it's not a bad word here so I've got a, a caravan um, of the sort like a Romany caravan so it's got angled walls and a semicircular roof and it's got beautiful little lead light windows and that's my writing studio so it's up in my backyard I, um, I go and sit in that and, um, and work away on, my, on my, my current project. And, you know, there are, there are good days and there are bad days. And mm-hmm. so I always aim to be up there first thing in the morning and to write until I'm too tired to write anymore. Um, but, you know, sometimes the dogs bark all morning or tradesmen turn up to do something or one of my kids forgot their soccer gear or whatever it is things go wrong and then you have to be flexible and then you end up working in the evening or or whatever and also you think you know what you're doing with a book and then you have a really brilliant idea that changes absolutely everything you have to go back and start again or cut huge bits that you've already written so while I while I fantasize about being one of those terribly organized writers the the truth is I'm, I'm fairly chaotic you know, you mentioned that you may have to cut large swaths of, from your from your whip. Um, have you ever started um, writing and gotten, you know, 25,000 words in and said, this isn't making any sense and it's just trash and I have to throw it away? Do you know what? Actually, I haven't, Pam. Um, I've, That's good. Think I've been very, I think I've been very lucky or very stubborn. Um, and with the book I'm working on at the moment, it, it's hard. It comes with a couple of challenges and there have been a few times where I've thought, do I have any idea what I'm doing? Is this all just a mess? Should I throw the whole thing out? And then some stubborn part of me goes, no, you just haven't worked hard enough yet. And so I just work harder and then you tend to break through or you get the piece of the jigsaw puzzle that helps you finish it. And you know, you've got to remember that those bad days, the ones where you sit there at your desk and you get nowhere or you even go backwards, they're actually right. part, part of getting to the next great day. So you're not fitting a square peg in a round hole. You're actually just massaging the edges to make sure it fits and, and finding the right, like you said, the piece to the puzzle. Um, it. it it seems like a scary proposition if one day you're on a roll and then you're so excited for all the progress you made and the next day, nothing. 
So how do you pick it back up again? What's your secret or what's the tip that Mini Dark uses to get back into that space? Well, I think there are two there, Pam. One is just do it. So you pick um, any bit and you do whatever you can do, even if you're just writing in dot points. If you're not even writing in full sentences, just write down this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and you will eventually loosen yourself up and start writing um, proper prose again. And the other um, part of that is it's, it's related, is work out a bit of the novel that you know absolutely has to be there. So if you know that this is a love story, there's going to have to be the bit where your two characters meet. So write that. Or if you already know how they're going to have a big falling out, write that. So there are bits your book is going to have to have. You don't need to be stuck on how it begins or anything like that. You can go to different parts within the story and and just work on the bits you know. And then, then you start to glue them together. So you can write out of order and still come up with a finished product that sparkles. Uh, yes, in fact, I have absolutely no idea how people wrote in the days before cut and paste. I would have died <laughs> cut and paste. <laughs> well, I see your point. I mean, I, I do that when I'm writing too. And I'm not a writer, but just putting assembling emails sometimes is, you know, a challenge for me. Um, yeah. Interesting. Very well, my interesting. First job was, my first job was as a journalist. And when you're a journalist, you don't write only when you feel like it. You go out right. and you do the interview and then you come back, you sit down at your desk, you'll, you have to do the writing, it's your job. So right. sometimes you come back to your desk though and you don't know how the story begins, but you know that the person you were talking to had this one great quote. So you put down the one great quote, you know that's going to be in there. Then you know that there's this one anecdote they told, you're going to have to tell that. So you put that in. And then all of a sudden it occurs to you how to end this story perfectly, like the perfect grace note ending would be, this so you do the ending and by then you're starting to think I know how this starts so then you put in the start and then you join it all together so I think I learned to write being a journalist I would imagine that being a journalist too and the you know the who what where well why and how um, have taught you to write with an economy of words rather than this long flowery narrative which is unnecessary to someone who wants to just hear your your characters speaking, because essentially, you're building a story around your characters and their dialogue and their movements, aren't you? Yes, I think um, one of the great bits of training that you get as a journalist is you know that you're dealing with short attention spans, so you have to right. um, you have to not be boring. So if you're starting to get bored yourself, that's you know a sure sign you need to. To, to get moving more quickly. Um, right. That said, you do often have to set things up in a, in a novel, and there was quite a lot of setting up to do in, in Starcross, and working out how to do that was, was quite hard. But one of the things that I say to myself when I'm stuck is I say, just tell the story. Just tell the story, because that's what we all really love, isn't it? A great influence on me as a writer was, a Jim Henson uh, TV series called The Storyteller. Uh-huh. And in this uh, TV series, the actor John Hurt plays the storyteller and he has a, 
a puppet dog at his feet and he tells old fairy tales, you know, grim fairy tales and he tells some of the Greek myths. And this notion of the of the storyteller, the person who sits by the fire and with nothing but their voice and their imagination, they yes. hold you know, I I love that figure. I love the storyteller. And as as Minnie Dark, um, I write are you there, Pam? Yes, I'm listening. I'm oh, sorry, fascinated just, by what you're saying. I'm sorry, fascinated Pam, I just by it. I just heard a big crackle in the line. I thought, I better just check you're still there. Um, no, no, so I'm the, here. So I'm listening to you. It's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> uh, it's, you I, just remind me of, of, of another time and place, but go ahead and continue. Yeah, I, that, that character. Uh, there's one particular episode of The Storyteller where John Hurt's character is hauled in front of the king and the king... Um, is going to put him to death unless he can talk him his way out of it. And he's saying, look, you should hire me. You should hire me as a storyteller. I tell great stories. I am not domestic. I am a luxury and therefore essential. Oh, I love that. You have such great quotes. I'm going to have you write some of my, my, my blurbs and everything for me. You're really good at that. I have to tell you that I'm very blessed to be able to speak to writers from all around the world. And it's a particular thrill for me to speak to Southern writers. Even though geographically Florida is in the South of the United States, we are not considered the South. Not until you get to Central and North Florida and the Panhandle are you considered Southern. But there is a rich history of storytelling in the South, in the United States, um, of people setting out on, on wide porches and you know around their the front of their homes and family gatherings and 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 drinking sweet teas or mint juleps or whatever and storytelling and you're right if we could make our books the way our storytellers past generational stories or you know fun stories for the kids whatever it happens to be i think books would be more even more beloved than they are right now yeah. So, so with, um, with with my um, my work with Starcrossed and with the book I'm working on now, there is a very definite storytelling voice. There yes. is a voice that takes you by the hand and says, I'm going to lead you through a story. Now I want you to look over here and notice this, or I want you to look over here. Or sometimes the voice in Starcrossed might say, okay, now look up into the sky, you know, look at the heavens, see what the heavenly bodies are doing. So there's this real... Um, directive presence in in my work which is there quite deliberately and it's because I love this um, storytelling voice so it's not it's not entirely that kind of realist tradition we've we've come to accept as normal where yes where we want to keep um, you know we want to keep the fourth wall in place as if this is all just happening and we're watching you know the fly on the wall or it's all happening um, sort of in a closed box, you know, I want to smash down that fourth wall sometimes and say, you know, look, and, you know, I'm going to step on stage and show you this one thing now. I'm going to point to it. I'm going to draw attention to myself as the storyteller. So um, I enjoy that kind of storytelling very much. It's, you don't see an awful lot of it um, in contemporary fiction, but, but when you do, I, I really love it. You and me both. I like the fact that um, my my writer is taking me along in the character footsteps. To me, that's mm-hmm. a really important part of the reading journey. So, um, and, and honestly, I think that you could probably do it in any genre. It's just that 
you know, like you said, breaking down the fourth wall is very difficult for a lot of writers. They are used to structuring stories in a certain way. So, um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying exactly. And I can imagine, I felt in the moment while I was reading Starcrossed. So, right. um, you, you succeeded in what you wanted to do, at least with me. And apparently, Everybody I've seen on NetGalley thought it was great, too. So, <laughs> you know, congratulations. Um, Minnie, will you tell people where they can find you on the webs, please? Yes. So my website is really simple. It's just www.minidark.com. So that's M-I-N-N-I-E-D-A-R-K-E. Uh, I do have a, an Instagram presence, which is just as simple. It's just um, mini dark you'll find me there and facebook i'm not really okay with twitter so you won't see me too much there um <laughs> but, but if you find my website which is very simple you'll find everything else um anybody you want to give a shout out to Oh, look, I would love to just say thank you to my um, publishers around the world, to my publishers at Crown in um, New York and my lovely New York agent, Dan Lazar, and also to the gorgeous people at Doubleday in Toronto who um, published Starcross there. And, you know, North American readers and readers all over the world who are going to have the opportunity to read this book in something like 20 languages, 20 different languages it'll be available yeah. in. Um, I wrote this book for you. I wrote this book to amuse you, to entertain you, to bring you joy, and I really hope that it will do all those things. I think it did, at least in my on my behalf. And I know our review group, we have a review team for the network, and I know they're anxious to get their teeth into it too. So as soon as they get their Kindle files, they're going to be re- reviewing I will send you a copy of the review and a copy of this podcast. Will you please come back in one of your other incarnations and visit with me again? Oh, Pam, it would be such a delight. Thank you so much for all your lovely questions. Thank you so much for being with me. This is Minnie Dark, D-A-R-K-E. The book is Starcrossed. You can find it in booksellers everywhere around the world, 20 countries. Not too shabby. It's a fun book. You're going to like it whether you're a guy or a girl. Go and get the book. Minnie, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Tuesday. I'm so thrilled that I got to speak to you. Listeners and readers, thank you for being with me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>